Hey everybody, Chase here. My audio is peaking in the following episode a bit. It's still usable, still a lot of great content, so still listen to it. But just know um, that I dropped the ball on this one, didn't check my levels, and I'll make sure to do it in the future. Uh, Thanks a lot for listening and take care. Hey listeners, before we get started, if you're enjoying these episodes, you can actually check them out on YouTube in full video. You can just search Honest Ecommerce and you'll get pulled right to our channel. Make sure you subscribe and ring the bell for all the updates hand over your trust and empower somebody to, to do something. Um, and if they, if they don't get it right, be okay with that, um, but have sort of a correction plan in mind for how to, how to adjust. Welcome to Honest Ecommerce, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer, and I believe running a direct-to-consumer brand does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. On this podcast, we interview founders and experts who are putting in the work and creating real results. I also share my own insights from running our top Shopify consultancy, Electric Eye. We cut the fluff in favor of facts to help you grow your e-commerce business. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honest Ecommerce. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And today, we're welcoming to the show Wiley Robinson. Wiley is a founder and CEO of Rumpel, a company that's on a mission to introduce the world to better blankets. How are you doing today, Wiley? I'm doing great. Nice to meet you. It's fantastic to meet you as well. So, I mean, let's just get it out there. Why blankets? Uh, yeah, great question. It's um, it's a really interesting category. It's a it's a commodity category. So everybody participates in it. So the the total addressable market is huge. Um, and, and it's a really underserved category in the sense that, uh, there's really been like very, very little innovation in it in decades. Um, and, you know, we've seen a huge amount of textile innovation happen in athletic apparel, sporting goods, outdoor equipment, et cetera. Um, and none of that textile innovation has flown through into this blanket category, which of course is the perfect use case for a lot of these materials. So there's just a big opportunity, you know, large TAM with kind of like low hanging fruit innovation. And uh, that's, that's what compels us to it. Awesome. So where, what was going on in your life? Where'd the idea for this come from? Because I know there's a lot of listeners out there that are, um, I hate the term entrepreneurs, but they, they want to get into this. And, you know, the ideation of what, what should my product be is always a question that I like to ask. Yeah. Um, the, the idea started back in 2012. Um, I was with a friend of mine and we were on a ski trip. And sleeping in the car, the plan was to to ski the next morning um, just outside Mammoth. And uh, we woke up the next morning, and the car had completely frozen. Um, couldn't couldn't turn it over, and um, we were just left sort of having to sit there in our sleeping bags and wait for somebody to help us. And it took several hours of us of us waiting there for somebody to show up. And um, during that time, we got to talking about how we really weren't that uncomfortable because we were wrapped in these sleeping bags. You know, like we felt warm and cozy and comfortable and safe. And um, just got to talking about the reason for that being these great materials, how well they worked. And, and the conversation sort of turned into like, well, why, why isn't bedding you know, thought of in the same way where it's like using these advanced performance materials that regulate temperature better and all this stuff. And uh, we, both, we both acknowledged that like, we hated putting the, the comforter back in the duvet cover of our, of our beds back home. You know, that, that issue of shaking our, our shaking the comforter back in there. So we would both often use our sleeping bags on our beds back home until we finally got around to, to doing it. And um, that sort of spawned the idea for what was called at the time, just a sleeping bag blanket, right? Like a very simple rectangle made out of sleeping bag ripstop and synthetic insulation. And that was kind of like the end of the idea. Um, and, and so when we got out of there, we got back to San Francisco where we were living at the time. 
And we went to a fabric store and, and bought some off-the-shelf materials that would sort of satisfy this need. We sewed it up ourselves. And that was that those were the two prototypes that we had to, to start the concept. Um, from there, a bunch of our friends expressed this is a pretty cool idea. And you know, I think that, that people would want to buy something like this. And so we actually did a Kickstarter to test it. We were still like very unsure if this is a commercial, mm-hmm. commercially viable idea. We did a Kickstarter and that did really, really well. Um, so that really launched the business and told us that there are other people that might be interested in this. Absolutely. Nothing kind of tells you if you have product market fit than a successful Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So with the successful Kickstarter, uh, obviously, there's a lot of cool stuff that comes along with it, like validation of your idea and obviously some capital. Uh, what were some of the challenges of taking the successful Kickstarter and, and kind of pivoting to a real business? I mean, a lot. Um, and it, I wouldn't say that uh, they were all sort of resolved in the first several years of the company. Um, I'll touch on a couple. I mean, one of the really early ones was uh, we had no distribution set up. Um, we were totally unaware that, or unsure, I should say, that people would actually buy into this idea. And so we hadn't set up a 3PL or a warehouse or anything. You know, maybe 10 people would have bought this thing, in which case we would have just fulfilled out of our apartment. But we sold like over 2,000 units. And so we had to very quickly figure out distribution and, and work with our factory partners to, to send product and label it correctly to be received by the distribution facility. And that was all like very, very new territory for both of us. Um, so that was, that was a problem right away that we didn't foresee. And I would say the bigger one, that, the one that really took the longest amount of time was um, getting the business in shape to service retail. Um, you know, retail is done and sorry, I should say wholesale. Um, wholesale yeah. is done in, in, you know, a very, very different way than Kickstarter where you're receiving money for your goods, making them and then sending them out to customers in a Kickstarter environment. Wholesale, it's like, you know, you actually need to make your goods first, plan them, get samples, show them to accounts, then take a pre-order. Um, you know, usually some percent of percent of your order money down actually make the product and then deliver it and then receive your actual payment in full. So it's like almost completely opposite. Um, and just getting the, the product ideation cycle to bump ahead so much further to be able to service wholesale took us years to do after launching. Absolutely. You know, that's definitely difficult. So after, you know, the successful Kickstarter, you get that first round of product out and um, were the next kind of uh, ideations, the next products that you guys were bringing to market, were you always launching them through Kickstarter or were you starting to do it through your kind of own channels, like through your own website or, or another kind of platform? We've really migrated more towards doing it through our own channels. Um, if we do something that's kind of out there, we, we typically test it on Kickstarter. The exact reason that I mentioned before, which is just that we can actually get validation, get market data, and actually get paid for the product before we make it. So it's very, very low risk to do Kickstarter. You know, we've done we've done a poncho, we did um, we did an electric blanket, we did a dog bed. Those are kind of like out, you know, adjacencies to to our core product line. And so those are great things to test on Kickstarter. But everything else Absolutely. we do on our own channel. Awesome. So with that, with kind of your own channel, uh, one of the greatest benefits of Kickstarter, obviously, is just the amount of eyes that you're going to get on your product or on your idea, and just the velocity and the traffic that it brings with using that platform. Obviously, you give up a little of the profit. Um, you know, what kind of? How did you guys kind of find and bring new business into the business, not using Kickstarter in those first couple of years? Like finding those customers not through kind of a different platform like that. Yeah, I mean that was just sort of organic brand building, organic and paid acquisition. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so we started running Facebook ads and social ads and things pretty early on. 
Um, we weren't very effective at it in the early days, but uh, we definitely brought consumers in through paid efforts. And then just general, you know, organic brand awareness. Um, I mean, everything from partnerships that we would do with other brands, collaborations, giveaways, things like that, sort of low hanging fruit to showing up at local events and street fairs and things like that to actually talk to consumers and get product in hand. So, you know, a, a vast network of things that we would do to actually drive organic brand awareness that would bring people over to our website to, to actually make purchases. If you're struggling with scaling your sales, maybe Electric Eye can help. Our team has helped our clients generate millions of dollars in additional revenue through our unique brand scaling framework. You can learn more about our agency at electriceye.io. That's E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Y-E.io. Mesa is the all-in-one answer for automating the everyday challenges of running a Shopify store. With automation, you can focus on the bigger picture knowing that everything is still getting done reliably and efficiently. Join successful brands like Mudwater, Chubbies, and Golden that learned how to use clever workflows to get more done without more overhead. Whether you need order details in Google Sheets, products added in Etsy, or customer information updated in your CRM, Mesa connects your data where it's needed most. To put it quite simply, Mesa is a better way to work. Browse pre-made templates for Shopify's most popular apps to get your first automation up and running in minutes. Search for Mesa, that's M-E-S-A, in the Shopify App Store and download the app today. Getting an online business off the ground isn't easy. So if you find yourself working late, tackling a to-do list that's a mile long with your fifth cup of coffee by your side, remember, great email doesn't have to be complicated. That's what Klaviyo is for. It's the email and SMS platform built to help e-commerce brands earn more money by creating genuine customer relationships. Once you set up your free Klaviyo account, you can start sending beautiful branded messages in minutes thanks to drag and drop design templates and built-in guidance. And with e-commerce specific recommendations and insights, you can keep growing your business as you go. Get started with a free account at klaviyo.com honest. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash H-O-N-E-S-T. So looking back on kind of those those early days of getting things started, does anything kind of stand out to you as, you know, like uh, some challenges that you guys overcame or, you know, uh, some mistakes that you guys might have made along the way that you want some of our listeners to try to avoid or, or learn from? Tons. I mean, um, I think the biggest challenge that that Rumpel went through in the first call it three years was uh, I actually parted ways with my co-founder. So we had to, we had to go through a co-founder separation, which you know can really like end a business um, if if mm-hmm. there's sort of a disagreement between two founders on how to on the direction for the business to go. Um, that can sort of stop it dead in its tracks. So we got through that um, and and I think did so pretty effectively. Um, to the extent that you know, I think my partner still feels good about the the equity he does retain in the company, um, and uh, you know, still sort of is able to to um, uh, you know claim being founder of the company and and be a part of it, be a, be a part of the journey as a shareholder now, um, but with, with sort of one person leading the company. Um, that was the biggest one for sure. I mean, the most taxing on me mentally, definitely like you know, taxing on. Just the the systems and the team within the company at the time, um, that would that would be the biggest one for sure. And I, I don't know that there's necessarily like an easy way to overcome that or advice to give. Yeah. Um, it's just you know if you're starting a company and and you're doing it with a friend or or a partner, you know like really make sure that that vision is super clear um, from the beginning. 
And in our case, we had this vision that we were both really aligned on, but traction of a particular product we were making just really took off. And so my perspective was that we really wanted to follow that traction and that momentum and and exploit it. Um, and I think his perspective was more, no, we need to continue product expansion and and sort of diversify our offering a little bit more. Um, and we just sort of disagreed about that that basic philosophy about how to grow the business. So um, you know, I would say like even if your if your idea for the future and your vision vision for the future is aligned, um, make sure that you have kind of like the same tolerance for for adaptability if something starts taking off in the business and you need to pivot a little bit or adjust your your strategy. Yeah, I, partnering with anyone on a business is no kind of light task. Uh, you definitely need to. The best advice I kind of got was actually from a lawyer, unfortunately, but he was like, "You got to plan for the divorce." Like at the beginning when you when you're talking about a business partnership. So you have those tough conversations when there's no money or equity to really fight over and just just lay it all out there. If this is successful but we want to part ways, this is how you do it. So then when you do get to those difficult kind of situations, you at least have some kind of basis to go from and it's a little bit easier to hopefully come to a, a amicable kind of decision. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Um, so we were talking in the pre-show a little bit about how your role with the company is is kind of changed and shifted over the years. Um, you know how has how has that happened? Uh, a lot. I mean, from from the beginning in the early days, it was definitely very very tactical. You know, I mean, I was like doing all the customer service and and making all of the creative assets and you know participating in all the photo shoots, holding the blankets, steaming them, you know, rolling them up, setting them up for the camera, taking the photo sometimes. Um, and now, you know, the the vast majority of the team is is better than me at every aspect of the company, and so really just like getting better at sort of steering the team in the in the right direction that um, can take advantage of all the talents we have uh, within it. And so um, it's 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 definitely still active management, but it's really more around empowerment and um, you know. Uh, Showing confidence in in the staff and praising good work, and much less about sort of like giving people task lists. Um, and so that evolution has happened, you know, over six seven years. Um, and there's a whole yeah. lot in between that, of course. But looking at my job from day one to sort of what it is now, uh, those are like the bookends that I'm working with. Absolutely, yeah. Do you have any advice for anyone out there that might be kind of struggling with delegation? I mean, it's just trust, you know, like, and, and, and be aware of um, what fail- failure will look like in your eyes. Clearly communicate that and set a date by which you evaluate this, the performance of the person that you've delegated the task to. And if it's not working, um, you know, go in and, and try to correct it or work with that person to, to adjust. Um, don't go in super hot and blow things up and fire somebody unless they do something really egregious. But, um, you know, basically, you just have to hand over your trust and empower somebody to to do something. Um, and if they if they don't get it right, be okay with that. Um, but have sort of a correction plan in mind for how to how to adjust. No, I, I think you just hit the nail on the head. There is something that I really like to highlight whenever I'm talking about delegation with people on the show. Is it probably isn't going to work out right the first time, especially for some larger asks of people, because what you have in your head. Even if you kind of write out the SOP or whatever, you're going to leave a lot of it out on accident just because you think it's easy or second nature to you. It's not when you're kind of offboarding that stuff and going into a delegation kind of situation and knowing that the outcome isn't going to be perfect the way that you were always doing it. 
but knowing that it's a moment to train them up and, and help them become better, uh, that's the, the attitude that you need to have or you're never going to be able to delegate successfully. Yeah, exactly. And you can sort of step stone it. Like if, it, you know, if, it's, an, if it's somebody that's sort of uh, newer or, or you don't have as much uh, experience with them or you haven't built as much of a relationship, you can give them sort of you know, not as critical tasks to start with and let them own those in full and then gradually build up their responsibility um, to the point where they have things that, that they completely own that are super critical to the business. Absolutely. Um, now, is there anything that I forgot to ask you that you think would resonate with our audience? I mean, one of the things that, that worked really well for us that uh, I typically advise new companies that are starting or new entrepreneurs is um, it's so much easier when you're starting a company to build a product that you really understand yourself. I think, I mean, we, I've never had an experience doing this myself, but I think it would be really, really challenging to start a business offering a product or service that I, that I wasn't a user of um, and trying to really like get into the heads of the consumer through, uh, through data or through surveying or through a variety of other things. It's just a lot of work to do that. And it's not, yeah. it's not inherent and it's not natural. And you really like can, can arrive at solutions, good solutions for a need much easier if you're building things that you yourself would, would value. Um, so if yeah. people are starting businesses that are just way out there from where they are on a personal level, I'm usually a little skeptical that they're going to be able to nail it unless they're an expert at consumer insights. Yeah. I, I think uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, sometimes they follow the money or they follow a trend and it's not something that they have any personal care about. And if you don't love what you do every day, you're not going to want to do it because it's not fun every day. Exactly. Awesome. So if anyone is curious about these uh, innovative products that you've been talking about today, where should they go to check them out? Uh, you can go to rumple.com. Um, that's probably the easiest. That'll have our, our full collection of products. Uh, we're also sold in over a thousand retail doors in the US and um, quite a few internationally as well. Uh, you can also buy our products on Amazon, but it's a slightly more limited assortment. Um, yeah, I would say rumble.com is the best place to go. Quickly, before we go here, I want to ask you a question that I, I know the answer to this, but I want you to say it for everyone listening. Why do you have a different assortment of products on Amazon? Uh, well, we, a lot of our products have really, really rich stories. Um, you know, they're, they're artist partnerships, they're brand collaborations. They're really sort of specifically designed for storytelling. Um, that's one part that we didn't, we didn't really get into, I guess, is in addition to the material innovation that we brought to the blanket category, We've also brought a really compelling brand and, and storytelling platform. Um, one thing that we find super interesting about blankets is the way that you use the product is highly emotive. You know, you wrap up in a blanket to feel warm and cozy and comfortable. All the things I talked about from that experience in, in sleeping bags stuck in the car. Um, and despite that fact, very, very few people can name a single brand of blankets. Um, you know, despite they might have 10 in their home. Um, you know, it's it's really like not a known thing is, is what brands are sort of owning that category. And so one of the key things for Rumpel from the beginning is really building a strong brand. And part of that, of course, is really strong storytelling. And on the Amazon platform, kind of circling back to your original question here, yeah. on the Amazon platform, that's often difficult to do. Um, you know, you sell commodity items, you sell, you sell sort of quick buy items that you don't need to do a ton of research on or be, or be emotionally drawn to um, in the way that we can tell those stories on our own owned platform. Absolutely. Wiley, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today and sharing these insights. I'll probably reach out in a couple months and try to get you back on and we can dive in a little bit deeper on some of these topics. Uh, any parting words for the listeners today? 
Uh, nothing really. I mean, just go for it. You know, like there's, there's no time like the present to start a business. So it seems super scary and there's tons of risk in doing it, but it's not going to get any easier with time. So. Yep. The hardest step is the first step. Yep. All right. I can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and journey with us. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our own business. You can find all the links in the show notes. Make sure you head over to honestecommerce.co to check out all of the other amazing content that we have. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review. And obviously, if you're thinking about growing your business, check out our agency at electriceye.io. Until next time.